If you would turn in your copies of the scriptures to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. As we launch into this, I would encourage you to, to be very prayerful and thoughtful as we dig into this. There is a depth in this story that can escape us if we don't look at it very carefully. It's, it's truly an amazing story, and it gives so much of the truth of the gospel from the Old Testament to the New Testament, who Christ is and why He has come. So think carefully as we dig into this. The last two weeks we've been in Jesus' teaching time, Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. Uh, Jesus first instructed the Pharisees and the scribes. And He instructed them on the futility and also the destructiveness of their beloved and self-created tradition of the elders. Through these traditions, the religious leaders have distorted and they have literally covered over the commands of God. They, in, extent, in, effect, in effect, they led men further away from God with their traditions rather than nearer to Him. Jesus then spoke to the men and women in the massive crowds that were surrounding Him everywhere He goes. He declared to them that defilement or this uncleanness or separation before God, he's telling him it has nothing to do with what you have been taught and what you have believed for generations. The Pharisees' special food rules will never keep you clean nor bring you closer to God. Their defilement before God was from inside, he tells them. The sinfulness of the heart, not from the foods they ingested, The heart is where sin and defilement come from. And that is where we must be made new. And that is what they must have had to have grasped. That this seems strange to us. We don't have anybody giving us a menu week to week on this is how you remain holy. Eat these foods. That seems absurd to us. But it was not. It was the daily ritual of these people. You must eat this. You must not touch that. You must have this in order to be clean before God. And Jesus was telling them, wipe that all off. The heart is where sin begins. It is the heart that is undefiled. Or the heart that is defiled. That is where sin must be taken care of. Now how were the religious authorities and the traditions of the elders, how were they so distorting the commands of God? Had God's true purpose for His kingdom been totally lost? Was it gone now? If defilement before God had become so entrenched in external behaviors, foods, clothing, etc., where do you go from here? How does Jesus now live out the lessons He has so boldly taught? It is so bold, as we know, that the Pharisees and scribes are trying to devise a way to have him murdered. They hate him. Christ has no fear. He loves his Father. He will obey his Father. And he loves with compassion the people. He will not step back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we're coming on the heels of your son's teaching there at Capernaum. And now it's a totally different scene. And yet it is completely related, Lord. And I pray that you would help us to see your will. Father, you know my many weaknesses as a teacher, 
as a, a preacher, I pray that you would work, that your, your spirit would work, that you would speak, Father, to our hearts, all of our hearts, and show us who you are, that we will walk out of here today knowing you more closely, loving you much more deeply, fearing you and trusting you in the ways that this woman has displayed. Please lead us through your word now. Help us, Father. There are many things that would distract us, things that we're looking forward to in anticipation, things that we've experienced this week, even this morning, all sorts of things. Father, please bring our minds and hearts to you. In your name I pray, amen. Verse 24, from there Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Now comes the most unique encounter, the unique encounter with the unusual mission. He entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. Some of them say, could not escape notice. Jesus, he leaves the familiar confines of the territory of Galilee. This may not seem like much, but he has used Capernaum on the shores of that Sea of Galilee as his operations center for the last year or so for ministry. Not only does he leave Galilee, but for the first and only time, he sets foot on foreign land. This is the only time recorded of Jesus Christ setting forth on foreign land. His earthly ministry is no longer on Israelite soil, nor is it in the midst of Jewish culture. He goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's about 50 miles to the north and west of the Sea of Galilee. Tyre and Sidon are two cities that are located along the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. They're about 20 miles apart. Geographically, these two cities are interestingly, very interestingly, in what is currently the hotbed of turmoil that we just heard about this morning, where Dan and Crystal are, southern Lebanon. That is where these cities are located. This house Jesus enters is somewhere near these two port cities. Port cities, sailors, what are port cities known for? Gross immorality, prostitution, paganism, idolatry. These cities are rough. They are full of sin. The Reformation Study Bible says a markedly Gentile region. Sproul gets a little clearer. He says a region the Jews considered notoriously unclean. Edward says Tyre probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically, that a Jew could expect to encounter. Jesus and the disciples have escaped away to regain some strength and rest in this region. But especially it appears that Jesus is wanting to take this time away and focus on trying to train His disciples. These have been intense and exhausting months of ministry. But the respite is short-lived. For a woman, verse 25, whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about Him, and she came and fell at His feet, a most unexpected intruder. And here are her intentions. Her intentions are at least threefold. Three clear motives of her heart. First of all, urgency. The SV uses Mark's common intro. But immediately, this woman, she must see Jesus now. She's got to see Him. For she is desperate. 
the second motive of her heart. Her young daughter is, according to Matthew 15, severely possessed by a demon. This little girl, she's probably not even over 12 years of age. She may be 8, 9, 10, we don't know. But she is a young thing. And the way the daughter's condition is described in Matthew as severely possessed by a demon, which means wickedly, badly, indicates the demon has a brutal impact on the poor little girl. A young little child. And this brutal, wicked demon is severely inflicting her. Now sometimes demons cause people to fall into fires. We read that. Fall into water. To cut themselves. To scream and holler. To have seizures and roll on the ground. We do not know the specifics. These easily may have been the heartbreaking manifestations this little girl suffered and which her mother painfully witnessed day after day. This little girl was hurting. But the mother also comes with deep reverence for Jesus Christ. It says she fell at His feet. Prostrate. It's, it's the word proskuneo. It means a gesture of worship. She falls down, face down, before the face of this Jewish rabbi by the name of Jesus. Now who is she? What is her identity? The identity of the woman, verse 26, first part, says the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now, she is not from Greece. What this implies here is that she was Greek-speaking. The area that she was from was Hellenized or, or Greek-cultured by that point. Phoenicia was a country, a region, that was annexed into Syria by a Roman general by the name of Ptolemy. For a while, he actually governed that part of the country. So that's the kind of area that she comes from. As you would expect, Syrophoenicia is not at all Jewish. Far from it. In fact, Matthew 15 verse 22 says this about the woman. She is a woman of Canaan. Now the Canaanites were the arch enemies of, of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And she is a descendant somehow from Canaanism. Her home region is saturated with pagan idol worship. Tyre's history... That city was at the center of worship of the fertility god Ashtoreth. So she, this woman, is a foreigner. She is of Roman culture. She is an idolater. She is a Canaanite. And she is a woman. At least five strikes against her according to the Jewish culture of that time. In many ways, this poor woman is a desperate, far outsider to this small group of Jewish men gathered in this house. Now to put this in context with what Jesus has just taught back in Galilee, according to the tradition of the elders, an encounter such as this between a woman of this kind of bearing and a Pharisee would have been absolutely unthinkable. It would never have happened. How will Jesus respond to this woman? Verse 26. And she kept asking, begging, begging him to cast the demon out of her daughter. The woman's unending request. Now, sharpen the focus with me on Matthew 15, verse 22. And it reads this way. She cried out to him, to Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Who is Jesus to her? God has been working in the heart of this pagan Canaanite woman. Perhaps through rumors 
or fast-spreading news throughout the region. She may have even personally witnessed his authoritative teaching and supernatural miracles in Capernaum. You say, well, why do you say that? Look, Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, it informs us that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. Perhaps this woman was in that great multitude. Perhaps family or friends had been among them and had come, seen, and reported the amazing power in this man called Jesus. However she learned it, it appears she knows much more, much more than anyone seems to have known about Jesus so far in all of his ministry encounters. This is an amazing scene we see unfolding here. She knows him. Now look slowly and carefully. What is it that she knows here? What is the foremost reason she is seeking Jesus and pleading with Him? Why is she coming to Jesus? She is desperately concerned for her precious young daughter. But why not go to the doctor or the pagan temple priest? Or to some mystic healer or spiritual guide or naturopath or someone who could take care of her in a different way. Because one thing she is absolutely confident in that we know from the get-go is that Jesus has the power. Jesus has the power to deliver her daughter from the grip of this severe demon. She believes. She knows he can do it. Secondly, how does she address Jesus? Look again at the report of this account in Matthew 15. She says, Oh Lord. It's the word kurios. It literally means supremacy. It's a title given to those in absolute authority. Oh Lord, she says. Now kurios appears 700, almost a 700 times in the New Testament. It is sometimes used as a respectful title such as Mr. or Master. But the majority of the time it speaks of Jesus Christ as Lord, the supreme authority. I don't believe this Gentile woman was simply being respectful of Jesus as a visiting religious figure. No, she knew far more than that. Because now she reveals an even deeper understanding of who He is. She goes beyond Lord. Now perhaps, perhaps she had seen Jesus heal blind persons. Maybe she'd seen Him cleanse diseased people from leprosy. Restore a lame man so he could walk. Maybe even have seen some dead people raised to life. Yes, surely she would have been duly impressed and realized this was a most unusual person. Perhaps the most powerful she had ever met. But there is more she sees here. This woman, where has she lived? She has spent her lifetime in the shadows of the towers of pagan temples. That's where she lived. She has heard the blaring, blasphemous teaching of false priests, of idols and demons. But she calls Jesus, O Lord, Son of David. God had endowed this woman with the ability not only to recognize that Jesus is the Lord, but also that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One of God. 
Later in Matthew 22, we read, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. It's the same title, the children in the temple and the mobs that lined the roads as Jesus enters Jerusalem will soon shout to His glory, Hosanna to the Son of David. She knows. Has she heard Jesus teaching at an early time? Had others explained this to her? I do not know. But we do know she knows. She knows who this one is before her. Her words reflect what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. Think of this. How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That is, is descriptive of this woman. She turned from idols to serve a living and true God. The Syrophoenician woman knows that this man Jesus, whom she is bowing down before, is powerful enough to overpower the wicked demon and her daughter. She knows he is the Curios, the supreme Lord, that he is the son of David, the anointed of God, the Christ, which the Jews had long awaited. And she is not a rabbi. She's not a Jew. Shock of shocks, she's not even a man. How could she, a pagan Gentile woman, grasp this? I don't know. We're not told. But the Spirit of God has made it clear to her. She does grasp it. And Jesus knows this full well as this begins to unfold. She kept asking. It's what we call the imperfect tense. It's continuous action. It tells us that she just wouldn't stop. In fact, her begging becomes too much for the disciples. Now to her begging, Matthew reports initially that Jesus did not answer her a word. She kept asking, and Jesus doesn't say anything. But the ever-sensitive disciples, with ears of wood and hearts of stone, came and urged Him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. They had heard enough of this woman. To this directive from His disciples... Jesus answers them, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then Jesus begins to open up this curtain of revelation that is amazing. Try to look at what happens now from like a 10,000 foot level looking down, or better yet, look at it from the vantage point of knowing what is going to happen, what's going to take place. Think about what Jesus knows. Everything. He knows the heart of this woman. He knows her daughter at home. He knows the demon by name. He knows everything that is taking place. Timing. He knew it would take place. Think about what the disciples know. They merely know that this person is a pagan Gentile woman. And what do they not know? That she is about to demonstrate a faith in their rabbi. That even they do not have nor have they ever seen before. That is what is going to unfold. Ponder that. And consider that in light of what now takes place. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. 
That's a little startling to current day sensitivities, don't you think? A man from one culture comparing a desperate woman with a suffering child from another culture comparing her to a dog? But read it over again. Read it over again. Seriously. Read it over again. Look. Look at what it is saying and what it is not saying. First of all, this is not a rejection. If at first blush it sounds like it, look again. Jesus is in no way saying, it ain't going to happen, lady. Pack your bags and go home to your demon-possessed pagan little girl. I'm not here for you. Not at all. That is not our Savior. That is not our, our, our Master, our Lord. His reply to this woman is powerful. It is beautiful. And it is full of veiled grace. Jesus, at this moment, is in the midst of a groundbreaking teaching session for the disciples. I mentioned earlier, many of the commentators agree that Jesus' reason for taking the troops to the region of Tyre was to focus on teaching them important truths. He has only a brief remaining time before He journeys to Jerusalem, where He will be persecuted, arrested, executed on the cross, and then rise again. But the scholars seem to indicate that Jesus was thwarted from being able to really concentrate on teaching because of this persistent woman. Quite the contrary. Jesus teaches them one of the most important lessons they will ever learn. He reveals who He is and who His children really are. He gives His disciples now what I would call a preliminary introduction to understand what He means when He tells them after His resurrection and before He ascends to the Father. We know this statement so well. Matthew 28, verse 18 all authority, says Jesus, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go there, therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Not of the Jews, but of all the nations, including the Jews. Baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. This was their introduction in living 3D color. This is going to happen right before their very eyes. Jesus is telling the woman and the disciples in this ministry classroom that His ministry, it does have a priority to the children of God, to the Jews. The ministry of Christ, let me say it this way, had an ethnic priority to the Jews first. But it has no limit to its ethnic scope and also to the Gentiles, everyone. Indeed, Jesus truly states that He was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the Jews. But He goes on to say, let the children be filled first. Let the children be filled first. In other words, you don't take the family meal out of the oven and throw it to the house pets before first putting it on the table for the children of the house. That's not hard to understand, is it? Now many of us have house pets, including dogs. I'm sure everyone here has different rules about whether dogs are allowed to eat any of the human food or only that which falls to the floor or only that which is left over as scraps. 
But I would venture to say that no one here will take the fresh baked rolls for dinner out of the oven, toss them on the floor for the dogs first, and then whatever is left, get down and pick up and put on the table for the children to eat. It doesn't work that way, does it? First it will be offered to the very children of the house. Notice Jesus does include here that there are little dogs in the dining room too. He doesn't exclude them. He makes very clear he is aware of them. And here he doesn't use, and it's really important, he doesn't use the usually derisive term for a dog from the streets of the city. The derisive term, the critical name of dogs, were for mongrels. They ate trash. They ate dead and decaying animals. And they were half wild beasts roaming the city streets. And, and some of us have had a privilege to be in some of the Middle Eastern cities, and especially in some of those in Iraq and, and northern Iraq and in portions of um, Turkey. Uh, dogs, there are a lot of dogs roaming the streets. And they are exactly that. They are mangy. They are mongrels. And they're just eating anything they can find. It doesn't seem like anybody owns them. And nobody gets very close to them. That's not the dogs that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about that animal, that small dog that is domesticated and is a pet that the family actually takes care of. Now the woman's reply is amazing. She is undaunted. The word undaunted literally means not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. Verse 28. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And when you read this woman's answer to Jesus, what do you think of her? What words describe her reply? Help me with that. She's fearless. Good. What else? Pardon? Wise. Good. She's tenacious. Humble, humble. Heard an echo on that one. That's good. Yeah, look at this woman. She is our amazing example. She is humble. She is full of faith. She is undaunted, desperate, clever, wise. All given to her by God in her response. Look at her. How is she positioned? She is on her knees likely before God, before Jesus. She is undaunted by his, his reply. She knows who she is talking to. He is Lord. He is Kurios. And he is the Lord that controls the bread truck and the supply of blessing for not only his prioritized children of Israel, but also for any and all who will call upon him. She is not offended or defensive in the least. Yes, Lord. I am no more than a dog. I am Gentile, raised in idolatry. I'm even a despised offshoot of the Canaanites. I have no right to be in this room with you and your disciples. But my daughter and I would be more than satisfied with just some crumbs that your children don't want or need. She knows Christ's blessings are limitless. 
His blessings are limitless. She knows not only are they unlimited in quantity, but unlimited in quality as well. Christ's blessings, let me say that again, are unlimited in quantity and unlimited in quality. She doesn't need much. Just some crumbs, the leftovers, the discarded scraps. She's not asking for a loaf. She knows that from Jesus, even the discarded scraps of the Lord, the Son of David, the Messiah, can release her precious child from the grip of Satan. She has the uttermost confidence in this Savior. She does not deny her subservient status to the Jews. She is only grateful to know their Messiah. And at this point, at this point, she knows him far more than the impatient, sluggish disciples who have been at his side for over a year now. Do we get this? Do we get this for us? Most of our culture, and most of us also, believe that if God is going to bless anyone, we ought to be included in that list somewhere. We ought to at least have a seat at the table if Jesus is going to start handing out bread. And in our inflated self-image, we realize we probably shouldn't be seated at the head of the table. But would somebody please get these dogs out of the dining room and let us eat our well-earned meal with Jesus in peace? It's disgusting. It's unclean. Is it defiling? But not this woman. She is our example. She does not care how humiliated she must become. She knows that she has no right to be there. It is not a false humility of where she's trying to manipulate Christ. It is a true brokenness. Feed the children first, but please let me have their crumbs, Lord Messiah. I am as lowly as a lowly family pet, but I will take anything of Christ, for He is all blessing and power and peace. Lord, You are now here on this earth feeding Your children. She knew that. So I am now under the table waiting for precious crumbs. As one writer said, her response was characterized by a complete absence of pride and self-reliance. She has been given faith and has fully exercised that faith in the fact that she has sought out Jesus. She has submitted to His will and believed that He is the Lord and Messiah of God. She has turned from idolatry and she has trusted in Christ. Earlier, Jesus declared in Matthew 11, He said, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, catch that, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. That is absolutely true of this woman from Tyre and Sidon. She has already repented. She has repented and come to Christ. Was Jesus sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel? Indeed, He was. But from the early history of the Old Testament, God's purpose and plan would be much broader. Indeed, Israel was to be His chosen nation through which He would bless all other nations. Israel was to be His instrument to draw men to Himself. But they would become rebellious toward their God. And here we're going to look at some of the Old Testament declarations of God's gospel to the Gentiles. Moses, Deuteronomy 32, 21. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. That's Israel. 
But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation, the Gentiles. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation, that is us. Isaiah would prophesy of the Gentiles. Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribe of Jacob's and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Isaiah 65 verse 1. I was sought by those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. Us. God would still fulfill His covenant promise to bless the nations through Israel. But it would be through the eventual coming of His Son Jesus Christ through the generations from Abraham. As one commentator put it, where the nation Israel failed in its global witness, the Messiah would triumph. Now in this account today, Mark has shown Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Messiah, that He is in the world fulfilling the will of His Father, bringing the kingdom of God first to the Jews and as a result to the Gentiles. Now this humble and persistent woman seemed to grasp and live out what Paul would write to a church in Rome. Romans chapter 11, verse 17. Somehow what she says and lives seems to be exactly what Paul is saying. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, you speaking of the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the, the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. That's where the Pharisees and scribes are. And you stand by faith where this Syrophoenician woman was. Do not be haughty, but fear. And we close with the unfathomable reward this woman receives. Verse 29, then he said to her, For this saying, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Great is her faith. Because of this answer, or for this statement, the demon has gone out of your daughter. This was more than just an off-the-cuff reply by the woman. It's short, but it is deep. Jesus acknowledges that her answer was full of substance, meaning, and conveyed deep, solid faith and humility. And then we read in Matthew 15, Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. This Gentile faith, this Gentile status, is constantly amazing in Scripture. This Gentile woman appears to be perhaps the first person in the Gospel of Mark that really understands and even interacts with his parable without becoming offended. Now the Pharisees understood some of them and they became grossly offended. This woman understands exactly where Jesus is going and even interacts with Him. The other person mentioned in the Gospels as having great faith is, of all things, a Roman centurion. He begs Jesus to heal His servant. Jesus describes him also as having greater faith than He has seen in all of Israel. At the cross, at the cross, it is again another Roman centurion who has actually participated 
He has done the dirty work in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And then witnesses to this Christ saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And great is His reward, Christ's reward. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. What a wonderful blessing to find her little daughter laying there in peace. This was a peace that this little child, this home, and this mother had not known for a long time. And she's lying there resting. What an amazing miracle as well. Even in His incarnation as a man in the flesh, Jesus could still wield His power wherever He desired at a distance. Did He have to be there with the little girl? Did He have to face the demon face to face? No, He didn't. He willed it. The demon was gone. And the little girl restored. While Jesus' words with this desperate believing woman at first seem unsettling, it is clear that He reveals a glorious gospel truth. While she probably, this woman had probably never eaten a kosher meal, a meal that would be considered Jewish clean, undefiled. Yet, hers was the heart that was clean before God, while the religious authorities and those who followed them remained filthy in their outward righteous hypocrisy. Martin Luther said of this, said this of the Syrophoenician woman, she asked for no more than her due. She took Christ at his own words, and then he treated her not as a dog, but as a child of Israel. We are those dogs underneath the table whom Jesus has now seated at the banqueting table of our Savior and King. We have been blessed as a foreign pagan people through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, and through the Jewish apostles who first took the gospel into all the world. Eventually that gospel was spoken to you, to me, and faith was given to me so that I could believe, so that you could believe. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 begins, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. Praise God. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And in light of the humility, I love the scriptures from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, the nobodies, the obscure, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? So that no flesh would glory in His presence. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. May we be washed clean of the pride and the self-righteousness, of the self-confidence, of, of our independence. Washed completely clean. 
and come as little dogs to the table for crumbs, only to be lifted up and seated with our Heavenly Father as His own children. We are the most blessed of all people. We had no rights. We had no earnings, no merit. And as Romans 5 said, when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man would someone dare to die. But God demonstrates His love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this woman. Praise God that You worked in her. She is nothing. No more than we are. But You worked in her a mighty work, Lord, and have put to shame many of my thoughts and my intentions, my pride. Lord, make us to be, as your word says, those that you would shame the wise, you would shame the mighty, and you would shame the well-known, the glorious, by nobodies, by weak people, by fools. But we are strong in you. For your word says that the weakness of God is, is stronger than men. And the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Lord, pour that upon us. We, we want crumbs, but we know those crumbs are more than we could ever need for life and godliness or our knowledge of you who called us. Lord, fill us and use us. I pray that this, this week as we go out, Lord, you will give us a multitude of opportunities to speak of Christ, to demonstrate humility and love, and to speak often of the gospel. Please, Lord, move us Pull us out of our apathy, our lethargy, and put us on the battlefield and fill us with the Spirit of Christ. Lord, for those this morning who, who do not know you, who have resisted your authority, your lordship, your curios, Lord, I pray that you would remove from them the heart of stone and you would give them a heart of flesh so that they could humbly come before you, trust in you, and repent and live for Christ. Thank you, Father, for you are worthy for eternity. In your name we pray. Amen.